Hey, I want to welcome you to Coastal Community Church's online sermons. And uh, before you watch this sermon, first of all, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch. And uh, we do want you to know that uh, this is a tool to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to grow closer to Him and walk with Him. Uh, we, however, at Coastal, hold a deep belief that uh, this should not supplement your attendance at a local church. We believe deeply in a local church. And so while we uh, this sermon is a, is a supplement for you, we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church, find a local pastor. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to attend with us. We have three services on Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and uh, we'd love for you to join us in one of those services. We're starting a new series at Coastal Community Church called Strength and Courage. And as a church, uh, we're ready to face some challenges of moving to a new location. And with change comes challenge. And so, uh, and while we're excited about the changes coming our way, we want to prepare for it as well. Joshua led the people of Israel to, the new, to a promised land, which had a lot of change and a lot of challenge. And so we feel like there's a lot we can learn from the book of Joshua. And so this fall, we're going to take a journey together. And we're mindful that Joshua is a type of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Joshua, and through the eyes of Joshua, we're going to look at our Savior, our King, and our leader as He guides us and leads us with strength and courage. Welcome to the new series through Joshua, Strength and Courage. Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. You guys all look so bright-eyed. Got an extra hour sleep. What is the irony that the bass player carries the bass line vocally as well? How cool is that? Thank you, Kevin. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, turn with me. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, chapter 8. We're going to heroically try to cover two chapters this morning. I know, you all just gulped. Anyway, but you got an extra hour of sleep, so whatever, you can hang with me. Uh, so there's a handout in your bulletin. You can uh, pull that out and follow along with me. I really want to encourage you to do that. Take some notes. It's great preparation for your small group. And as we do this uh, series, Strength and Courage, believe it or not, it's November. We've got a few more weeks here, and then we're going to be uh, transitioning as a church into Christmas. And can't wait for the Christmas season. Always love to celebrate the incarnation of our God, wrapping himself in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, while you're kind of getting all that out, just a little building update. want to let you know that uh, we did receive our uh, building plans back from the county. We made some of the adjustments they asked us to make, and now the plans are resubmitted to the county. And so uh, we really could have those plans any day. And so be in prayer for that. And then once we have those plans, we can move forward. So uh, continue to be in prayer for that. If you haven't been by the building in a while, if it's not kind of your normal traffic pattern, you know, do yourself a favor, drive by there. Man, place looks great on the outside. You know, we've been able to do some painting and, and resurfacing and those kind of things. And the, and the outside looks wonderful. And so we're really looking forward to moving forward to that. Exciting stuff. Isn't it coastal church? I don't know about you, but you know, my wife is an uh, my wife's an excellent gift giver to me. Um, she always puts enough thought into it that I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, like oh, she did hear my whining, you know, about not having a dad chair one year. You know, and I finally got a dad chair kind of thing. And and but probably the best gift she ever gave me is uh, when I first started pastoring the church. Um, and, you know, the staff was small, and finding guest preachers was sometimes difficult uh, because I didn't have a bunch of gifted communicators like we do here now. And, and uh, I remember, um, you know, she came up to me one Christmas, and she hands me an envelope, and I open the envelope, and there are a couple tickets for me and my boys to go see the Seattle Seahawks play in Carolina. And the first thing I said was, wait a minute, i got to preach that Sunday. She goes, I already took care of it. I took to the, talked to the elders. They got a guest speaker before you. And it was just an awesome surprise, man. And it was great, and I couldn't wait to go. And, and uh, the Seahawks lost. Anyway, but it doesn't matter. Um, still a great 
great gift. And, you know, when we get surprised in a positive manner, like we call that a surprise, right? But this morning we're going to look at surprise in maybe a negative manner, but then we're going to bring it around in a positive manner. And so when, you, when you're surprised negatively, sometimes we call that an ambush, right? Like when my wife gave me a good gift, I go, wow, I'm ambushed with surprise, you know? I'm, I, I might say I'm pleasantly surprised, but I'm not ambushed. Ambush is kind of the negative connotation of being surprised. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at Je- uh, Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. We're going to talk about the idea of ambush. And we're going to talk about it negatively at first, and we're going to bring it around positively. So Joshua chapter 7, and by the way, I hope you're, I hope you're reading through Joshua uh, on your own. Uh, so I hope you're becoming familiar with the stories uh, of Joshua. But uh, So last week, you know, we did a great uh, worship service where we sang the gospel, and I hope, I hope you were here for that. And last week was amazing. And, uh, but so I hope you haven't forgotten, you know, the week before we talked about how there were some things devoted to the Lord in Joshua chapter 6. And Joshua wanted the city of Jericho. God said, the city of Jericho belongs to me. The rest of the land is plunder that you can have. But, but chapter 6, Jericho is mine. It's to be set apart in worship. And so what we find out in Joshua chapter 7 is after this incredible victory and the people are flying high, that the next small city is the city called Ai, where the, the people of Israel were to take this small city. And once again, we in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, we kind of get this glimpse into the behind-the-scene truths that, um, that, that uh, the, maybe the participants in the story didn't know, but we as the reader kind of get some insight. And so Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 says, but, all Israel, but Israel violated the instructions about the things. What's the next two words? Set apart. What's the word set apart make you think about? The word holy, right? That's what the word holy means. They, God said, These things, this city is holy. It is set apart for me. And Israel violated this thing, set apart to the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen these dedicated things, so the Lord was angry with who? Achan, right? Is that what it says? No, like the whole, the whole nation is bearing the weight of the sin of Achan. The Lord said, you know, you as a nation, because of one guy, you didn't do what I commanded. And so Joshua uh, if you, in Joshua chapter 7, he takes a few warriors. He said, Ai is a small city. We'll send a few warriors up there. Verse 7, cha- uh, chapter 7, verse 1 gives us his insight into what's really happening. Joshua doesn't know that. He sends a few warriors up to Ai. Joshua, uh, they, the, the, these handful of warriors get, <clears throat> get soundly defeated. Joshua falls on his face. And he says, oh, God, what's going on? And he appeals to God's name. He says, for your namesake, which, by the way, when you read the Old Testament, you'll come across that phrase a lot, which is the idea of God to glorify your name, to bring honor and to bring glory to your name. And God points out that there's disobedience in the, in the camp, and it needs to be purged out. We find out that Achan took a cloak and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold. And we find out that Achan confesses this. And he pays the penalty uh, that God commands to be paid, which is he and his family were to pay the penalty with capital punishment. Now, the purpose of this is series, if you remember, let me take us back to the purpose, was to prepare us. We believe as a church, God's moving us in a new direction. He's moving us physically, but there's a spiritual journey in this as well. 
And I started with, hey, things are going to change. You're, you're going to physically sit in another seat. But, but we believe God's preparing us for some things. And we, we as a church, I think there's some truths that we could draw out of Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8 that can remind us, man, we need to prepare spiritually for this journey that we're on. And the first thing I want to remind you out of this text is that we can be ambushed by sin. Make no mistake about it. In fact, I think... This passage reminds me, as you read through Joshua chapter 7, that God takes sin far more seriously than we do, usually. In fact, that most great revivals, and by the way, don't, just so you know, like this generation of Americans haven't seen a revival, a real revival. It's really spread across the country. Great revivals have always started when the church recognizes its sin in the presence of a holy God. That's the beginning point of God doing something great, of understanding God's holiness, his set-apartness, and our sin. And sin has great consequences. And by the way, I know it's easy to look at this story and go, man, that seems really harsh. You know, I mean, Achan had to pay for the sin with his life. I mean, that must be an Old Testament thing, right? You know, could it be that when God is birthing something, he wants us to be real mindful of how, how horrible sin is in the camp, if you will, right? Because, by the way, God does the same thing in the early church. You remember that? Acts chapter 5, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the leaders of the church, and God takes their life immediately. Now, does God always work? Does our sin always work? Like Not always, okay? And I think God was doing something kind of unique as he's birthing these nations so that they understand that he's serious about holiness. He's serious about obedience to his word. But Achan lied. He took some of the stuff he wasn't supposed to take. He sinned in the camp. And so Joshua falls on his face and prays and says, God, what is going on? You promised us victory. And, what, you know, at that time, he didn't know about the sin of Achan, and he's praying, and God answers so gently and kindly and mercifully. Check this out in God's answer. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. Here's gentleness of God. Get up! <laughs> Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things I commanded them that must be set apart for me. They've not only stolen them, but they've lied about it, and they've hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. Let me ask you something. When things aren't going your way, do you pause for a moment and say, hey, is it me, God? Now, I'm not saying it always is, but I think we, we need to be quick to bow a knee and say, Man, God, is there, is there some disobedience in my life? Is there something going on inside of my heart? For now, Israel itself has been what, church? Set apart for blessing, right? No, man. He, God's going to use them to make a holy statement. And I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. There. Wasn't that safe and kind and soft, and gracious and merciful? Church, this should remind us that God is serious about sin. And by the way, and, and God is serious about sin and disobedience to his word. And that principle remains the same all the way through scripture. 
God is serious about sin and disobedience to his word. God takes, does not take his word lightly. Some of us in this room, like there's a thing, and I want to prepare us as a body as we move forward. And what I believe God wants for this church to make his name famous along this peninsula and in this community and in this nation and all around the world. I couldn't be more excited about this, but I want to encourage us to be a part of that. We need to search our hearts and say, God, is there anything inside of me that I'm in disobedience? I need to repent and make some things right. A little bit uncomfortable, right? Because we can be ambushed by our sin. If you're holding a grudge against a brother or a sister in Christ, Matthew 18 applies, you need to go make it right today. Sit them down and say, you know what, I've been thinking this. What's going on? Have a face-to-face. If you're sleeping around or you're addicted to pornography or there's a sexual sin in your life, you need today, it needs to come to light, and we need to repent, and we need to get it right as believers. We hoard our money, and somehow we think this is an innocent thing in the sight of God. We hoard the good news of the gospel. We don't share it with anyone. Somehow we think that maybe in the sight of God, it's just a small thing. We talk about the church and the church leaders in a negative way, and God says the church is the bride of Christ. And somehow we think God just kind of goes, oh, no biggie. And this text reminds us it's a big deal, and God is serious about his word. And church, I don't think I'm pushing this text too far when I suggest that the church body, that it's important that we pursue holiness, obedience, and righteousness in our personal lives and in the corporate life of Coastal Community Church, correct? And this is a great moment in our, really, this sermon in some ways is a great pause for us as a church to have a moment of introspection and say, man, am I serious about the things God has taught me? Am I serious about the word of God? Because make no mistake about it, even for the believer, the battle for sanctification is real. The battle for sanctification is real. This is Romans 7 stuff, right? I don't do the things I should. I do the things I shouldn't. And then Paul cries out, somebody help me, Romans 7, 24. Paul says, oh, the miserable person I am, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? And he, he cries out, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord, right? In the chapter previous, in Romans chapter 6, where Paul is talking about grace, and man, if I was preaching, you know, we're going to get back to grace here at the end of this, but man, when we talk about grace, our hearts flutter, and it's soft, and it's safe, and it's easy, but even in that, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he kind of says, and this is kind of the Sean Brown version, right? He says, should we continue sinning that the grace of God should increase or show itself off Paul kind of goes on to say, that means you have no idea if you think you can keep on going down the path of sin and God doesn't care. You have no idea what grace really means if you continue down that path. It's the Sean Brown version. I want to encourage you. This is a strong encouragement. I believe this is the word that God has given us out of his word this morning. There's unrepentant, habitual sin in your heart and life this morning. You need to get it out. You need to repent. Repent means 180 degrees, means turn from it. You need to pursue the word of God. You maybe make a relationship, right? Whatever we got to do, we have to pursue holiness. You need to put an end to it today. Because this chapter, chapter 7 of Joshua, I think is an essential passage for us to understand 
that God takes sin seriously in our camp. And if we want to see all that, if we want to see God make his name great through our church body, we have to take his word seriously. Now, let me transition to chapter 8, okay? Because chapter 8 is where we see the incredible kindness and mercy and grace of God for those who repent and believe. See, in chapter 8, God shows us his kindness. He gives Israel a second chance. By the way, isn't that good news? Isn't, isn't it great that we worship a God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance? And I'm so thankful for that. And God starts with this kind of our, our theme in verse 1. He says, reminds the people to have strength and courage. So uh, to get the story, Achan is found out. He confesses his sin. The people of Israel purge the sin. They repent. And now they're to go back to the city Ai. And so God says, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. He says, I want to take 30,000 men. I want 25,000 men to go attack the city of Ai. And when the warriors of Ai come out, I want you to flee just like you did before. 25,000 men on the run. And I want to put 5,000 men kind of hidden around the corner. Okay? And so as the people of Ai pursue the 25,000 out into the woods, I want the 5,000 to go capture the city and then come behind the people of Ai and kind of ambush them or sandwich them between two armies. Does that make sense? And so this amazing story, here's what it reminds me. Joshua, the leader, leads an ambush, and it reminds me that Joshua is not the only king who's led an ambush, right? This morning, we worship the king of kings, God's son, Jesus Christ, and he too led a divine ambush. Did you ever think about that? I want you to think about the person and work of Christ as a divine ambush. Joshua in Joshua chapter 8 is a great picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ, paying for our sins and defeating our enemies. I want you to think about that for a minute. As Jesus, hung, as Jesus dies on the cross and they laid his lifeless body in a tomb, it appeared that all the enemies of God had won. Think about it. I mean, he was, the, he was the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was, he was hinted at in, in Genesis chapter 3, the Messiah. The Messiah was promised to Abraham. Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. The Messiah was longed for by generations of Israelites. And here he is on the cross at age 33, dead, defeated, you know, remember the Messiah, the one that we're going to celebrate at Christmas time, that the angels were so excited about, they showed up to some shepherds, and they announced, Israel, the Messiah is here. You remember the Messiah, the one who took a couple loaves of bread and some fish and fed thousands of hungry people. You know, the Messiah who healed the blind people, the Messiah who walked on the water, the Messiah who raised people from the dead, now has been conquered by death itself. Evil's victory seemed assured, didn't it? And oh, how mistaken our enemies were in regard to our Messiah, our King, and our Lord, and our Savior. Because what God had done on the cross was a divine ambush. The enemies of God walked blindly into the slaughter of God's design. 
Our sin was paid, our darkness brought to light, our shame is gone, the consequence of death defeated because our Savior lay quietly and lifelessly in a grave for three days, setting up a resurrection ambush. Isn't that good stuff? To which the Apostle Paul says, oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sin? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers, enthusiastically work for the Lord. You can insert the words, have strength and courage right there. Have strength and courage for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I've got even more good news. I feel like an infomercial commercial where you go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> right? Just like the people of Israel, if you, if you read the text of Joshua chapter 8 closely, just like they got the plunder AI and they got all the plunder of the rest of the promised land, I like an infomercial where I go, but wait, there's more. Because when Christ rose from the dead, we share in the victory of Christ. By grace through faith, the righteousness or the works of Christ get credited to our spiritual bank account, if you will. We are clothed in the works or the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. And his reward is now our reward, and his victory is now our victory, to which Paul celebrates in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us what? Everything else. Church, you just sang about it. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. What, if you focus on Jesus, guess what? Everything else turns strangely dim. Isn't that cool? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? For some of you in this room, that's you. You're walking through life accusing yourself. You'll never, you, man, if only, now you're you know, self-accusing, self-beating yourself down. I got news for you. God's not accusing you of that past sin anymore. If you've repented, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No, Paul says, no one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I don't think y'all heard that. Listen to this. For, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Church, Jesus Christ is in the presence of God, pleading for the people of Coastal Community Church. How amazing is that? You're not forgotten right now. You brought your mess in here, and it's been a difficult week, and I get all that. And the God of the universe, through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is our high priest interceding on our behalf in the presence of the creator God of the universe. Amazing. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamities or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? But the scripture says, for your sake, he was killed every day, and, and, uh, and we're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, 
all the things we go through. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing will ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither uh, our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Incredible. But wait, there's more. <laughs> the plunder is yours. The, Christ's resurrection has us stand victorious in the presence of God. He's no longer against us. We're no longer situated under his wrath in Christ, but we are situated clothed in the victory of Jesus Christ. It's incredible, church. It's a, it's a divine ambush of the enemies of God. Joshua chapter 8. And by the way, it's common for God to work this way. Did you know that? Let's do a little by the way. It's common for God to work this way. Our God often uses ambush to defeat his enemies. Did you know that? Our God often uses ambush to defeat his enemies. Let me, let me apply this to you here this morning. God often uses the weak to confound the strong. That's how God works. God often uses the weak to confound the strong. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul says, And remember, dear brothers and sisters, that you guys really had it together in the eyes of the world. I mean, you were smart and wealthy and you know, famous that's the kind of people God uses to build his church. That's what Paul says, right, in 1 Corinthians 26. No, quite the opposite. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the, in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I want you to think about this for a minute. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he showed up to 11 petrified apostles that were sitting in a room scared for their life. And it spread, the church began to spread through the impoverished people of the Roman government. And here you sit 2,000 years later on another continent where the church has deeply influenced the culture in which you live in because 11 guys scared to death, God chose to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because God usually uses the lesser things. Listen, when you're sitting here this morning when, and you're listening to some voices in your head where there's some people that have spoken to you and said, man, you're never going to amount to anything because of X, Y, Z. You're too dumb. You're not smart. You don't have the look. You didn't, you weren't, and God says, man, that, that's the kind of person I use. You're sitting here today and, and you know your past. And God knows your past. You've repented of that past, but that past is still holding you back as it whispers into your head. Well, if anybody found out that, you know, fill in the blank, and you never amount to anything. We bring our, our sin and shame to light. I'm going to tell you something. God uses that to make his glory shine brightly. When the world sees weakness, God sees opportunity. 
That's really good. You should write that down. When the world world sees weakness, God sees opportunity. In fact, even Paul had to learn the value of the thorn in the flesh. Now, one of the things I'm really thankful about in 2 Corinthians 12 is that Paul doesn't really tell us what his thorn in the flesh is. And so I I love that because I think we can apply it to a whole bunch of things. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, and so his ministry was under attack um, by some people claiming apostleship. And, and so Paul, uh, it kind of, he says, listen, I'd rather boast in my weakness kind of thing. But he does tell us that he kind of got this heavenly vision, but he wasn't allowed to speak of it. And be, so because of that, he was given a thorn in the flesh. And he had asked God multiple times to take this thorn in the flesh away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? Do you believe that? Can I be honest with you? I struggle with that. I mean, I'm, I'm acutely aware sometimes of some of my weaknesses, and I'm like, man, why can't I improve? Why doesn't this go away? And it reminds me, though, in that moment, how much I need Christ, how much I need, uh, even as a Christian, the reminder to turn my eyes upon Jesus. How much I need to be reminded that that Jesus is in the presence of God interceding for me because I need it. And in that, if God chooses to use me to bring glory to his name or make Jesus famous, all the more I go, wow, thank you, Lord, I'm humbled. Because weakness teaches us dependence on God. Weakness teaches us humility. Weakness teaches us uh, to boast in God alone. And here's what weakness does. It ambushes my self-consuming, self-dependent nature. Write that down. Weakness ambushes my self-consuming, self-dependent nature. It reminds me that I need, I need a savior. This is the opposite of what we're taught in America. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? I'm here to tell you, you need a savior to pull you up by your bootstraps, And why does God work this way? Why does God use the ambushed, the weak, to display his glory? Because in our darkest hour, his glory shines brightest. That's why. Because in our darkest hour, his glory shines brightest. Our darkest hour reveals God's greatest glory. Our darkest hour reveals God's greatest glory. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. A lot of you all know this psalm, but this is a great picture of the divine ambush and how God uses weak to show off his strength. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Let me encourage you, if you came in here this morning and you came in with tears and with weeping, and man, life had hit, hit you upside the head, I want to encourage you. 
That's the kind of situation that God uses to reveal his greatest glory. Let me challenge you. Could be, make sure you've repented of sin. Make sure you're pursuing obedience. But even in that, when we repent, God uses our repentance for his greatest glory. I, uh, you probably heard this story before, but the story is told of a, uh, a guy and girl who, who fell in love and they decided to get married. Uh, we'll give them a name. Their name was Bob and Amanda, okay? Bob and Amanda both had horrible problems that they intended to hide from one another during their dating relationship. They intended to hide it from one another as long as they possibly could. You see, Amanda had the worst breath you could possibly imagine. And all throughout their dating relationship, Amanda hid her bad breath from her beloved Bob. And so part of this was she would always have a piece of gum or a breath mint in her mouth. And, and so to protect herself from this bad breath, sh- surely knowing that if he ever smelled my bad breath, it would end this relationship. She said, Bob, listen, I'm not going to kiss you until our honeymoon night. And man, he respected that. He thought, man, what a great girl. She's saving all her kisses for me. Bob, however, had problems of his own. You see, Bob had the the worst smelling feet you could ever imagine. And so all throughout their dating life and their and their engagement, Bob always wore his shoes. He would They'd be at their, her parents' house, and he'd pop his feet up on the couch with his shoes hanging off the edge. And she'd say, honey, why don't you take your shoes off and just relax? He goes, no, I'm good. All the while knowing that he had the worst-smelling feet you could ever imagine. Amanda, meanwhile, is chomping away on gum while he's keeping his shoes on, relaxed in the house. Finally, the big day came. Bob and Amanda got married. The reception was great. The limo swept them away to their honeymoon suite, and both of them were mortified as their secrets were about to be revealed. (laughs) Amanda went into the bathroom fretting over how she would finally kiss her new husband, and Bob scurried around the room spraying various sprays, trying to figure out how to cover up the smell of his stinky feet. He slid into bed. Amanda finally gets up the courage to slide into bed next to him. They snuggle up. And Amanda nervously turns over and she says, Bob, I have something I need to tell you. And Bob smiles and says, I already know, dear, and I I love you anyway. And she says, you know? What do you know? And Bob looks at him and says, honey, you ate my socks. I don't really know how that fits in this morning. It just seemed like a great story to tell. Now, here's the deal. Ready? Most of us kind of go through our lives that way. One of the words we use at Coastal uh, in our purpose statement is the word authentic. And and that word is chosen really intentionally. A lot of us run through life, man, and listen, every single one of us in this room has issues. Every single one of us in this room is broken. 
every single one of us in this room, even those who are Christians and God's in the process of molding into the image of Jesus Christ, and we're not who we used to be by God's grace and God's mercy, but man, we still got our issues. We still have our stinky feet and our bad breath and all the stuff that we have as we move forward. And what we tend to do is we tend to run around and hide it from everybody. And I want to encourage you this morning that hiding our mess doesn't really display God's glory like it could. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, go to your small group this week and just unload on everybody, but there needs to be some safe spots in your life where you say, you know, there's a person or two that you go, man, here's, here's the real, this is authentic. And my, my feet stink from time to time. You know, that's the truth of the matter. And and by the way, God already knows, right? We run around blindly as if God doesn't know. And God is saying, listen, if you live in a manner that's authentic, I'm going to use that to to display my greatest glory in and through your lives. So here's some good news. When you turn from your sin and you worship him, our God turns on its head what the world calls weak. And he uses that to show off his glory by ambushing our enemies and brightly and mercifully revealing his glory through us. I want you to hear that again. Our God uses people just like you and me to reveal his glory to the world. Isn't that amazing? So guess what? We can stop hiding from him, and we can stop hiding from one another. Our God in Christ is interceding on your behalf in the presence of God. Who can bring a charge against God's people? No one. Let's be authentic. Let's be repentant of sin. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus so that the glory of God may be revealed through us. It's a divine ambush. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you use the weak. That encourages me so much, God, because I have so many weaknesses, and it frees me up. I no longer have to live in shame and in fear, knowing that you, God, in Christ, love me anyway. I already know. I already know. Pray for the one in this room this morning who's been running around in hiddenness and in shame. Maybe they don't know you yet, God. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would no longer have to run from God, but run to God. Bow a knee in repentance and faith in the personal work of Christ. That today would be the day of freedom. Today would be the day of a divine ambush where God turns everything that the world has been telling this person on its head and uses us to display his glory. We give you thanksgiving, and we give you praise, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
All right, church, this is our offering time. Elshers, if you'd be ready. If you're here this morning and you have a prayer need, maybe as I was preaching and you go, man, I've been hiding this weakness forever and I just like someone to know about it, someone to pray with me about it. Our prayer team's on the front row. Uh, they're here uh, during the offering time. They're here after the service to minister to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't yet started your relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to take your sin and do a divine ambush and use your life to display his glory. And so if you'd like to talk to one of our prayer team members, they're here for you on that as well. Uh, this is our offering time. It's one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. So if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, don't feel any obligation to give. The one thing we'd love to have from you is on the side of that bulletin is the Connect card if you just fill that out. And uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. And, uh, and so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Joel. And ushers, would you come forward? And church, we're going to go out singing to our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Ushers and Joel.